Good morning, everyone. I think we are in the enviable position of being the last panel right before the break. Um, so we'll uh, make this entertaining. Um, as John and Jerry and I were talking last week and preparing for this panel discussion today, we thought we should probably spend a minute or so talking about this concept of the continuous customer and what it really means, right, before we kind of talk about how we're going to find them and grow them and keep them. So, um, and, and maybe the way that I'll do that is rather than kind of putting up a picture and talking to a, a graphic is I'll tell a little story. Um, and the story is really, um, uh, this, was, this was really something that came across my, my Instagram feed of all places yesterday as I was on my way out here to sunny Los Angeles and it really struck me as a being a very good way of describing what the continuous customer is not, right? So, uh, and I'm just gonna read this to you because first of all, I think it's hilarious and I don't wanna screw it up. Um, so this is a post from a woman on Instagram. Her handle is uh, girl, from, girl from Blupo. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, and so Girl from Blupo is talking about a recent transaction that she just had with Amazon.com and she continues. Dear Amazon, I bought a toilet seat because I needed one. Necessity, not desire. I do not collect them. I am not a toilet seat addict. So no matter how temptingly you email me, I'm not going to think, oh, go on then, just one more toilet seat, I'll treat myself. <laughs> right? So I thought that was a... So, so the girl from Blupo is clearly not what we would call a continuous customer. She is not seeking a recurring relationship, revenue relationship with Amazon.com Amazon to buy more toilet seats, right? So I bring that up. It's a silly example, of course, right? Uh, the point here, though, is that um, um, if we apply the wrong kind of paradigm to find and grow and keep our customers, we run the risk, at best case, really, of just being ineffective and in a worst case, maybe even coming up with some somewhat hilarious consequences, right? So, with that, that's the continuous customer. That's what we'll talk about today. I managed to work in toilet seats into my opening diatribe here. So, there we go. That's, how's that for a transition? So, let's talk about finding, first of all. Let's talk about how we find continuous customers. And, John, maybe I'll start with you. Um, talk to us a little bit. I noticed on your website, um, you guys actually, as a find strategy, have a 14-day free trial, as an example, right, with no credit card required. Talk to us about a little bit about the efficacy of that strategy and maybe some other um, sort of find uh, strategies that you work to introduce new customers to your, to your business. Well, I think one of the biggest struggles is identifying your customer, reaching out and building that relationship where you become their trusted advisor to stay top of mind so when they make a buying decision, they think of you. We all struggle with that. And... I want to tell you two stories about how we built the Goldmine brand and uh, how we built the Nimble brand, how we find customers. So imagine me at 29 years old. I just invented contact management and Serum before Outlook or Salesforce existed in 1989. I have a product and I have $5,000 in the bank. How do I get that product to market? So what I did was, because I got my ass kicked at Banyan by the Novell resellers, I figured out that the Novell resellers had a trusted relationship with my core prospect 
individuals and teams of small and medium-sized companies of decision makers that need relationship management software. So I went out and built relationships with them and got them to use it because people sell what they know and they know what they use. They, in turn, started to resell to their customers. We never took a dime of venture at Goldmine, and 10 years later when we sold it, we had $100 million, almost $100 million in revenue and almost 5 million customers. And with Nimble, when I started the business, nobody knew what social CRM was. They didn't even think that they could apply social to business. This was basically by 2010. So what I had to do is identify the influencer of my customer then, and then there were some Google resellers, but not much. And so there weren't really resellers that were social in the cloud. And so I figured out that I needed to find the influencer of my core prospect in and around the areas of promise of my product thought leaders in sales, marketing, social media, et cetera. And I built relationships with them by sharing their content, which then built my brand, attributing them their name, starting a relationship. They, in turn, became our evangelists and recommenders. And that's how we scaled the brand without any spending money on advertising. So if you think about the traditional funnel, it was built in 1800, and it's archaic. It's not a funnel anymore, it's a pretzel. And I really believe that what you need to do is you need to somehow figure out how to become the trusted advisor of your prospect. And you don't do it by talking about how great your products and services are, nobody cares. Start talking about how you can help other people become better, smarter, faster. And it's a simple philosophy. If you teach people to fish, they'll figure out yourself fishing poles. And I have the five E's of that. It's educate, enchant, engage, embrace, and empower your customers. And so the whole idea of bagging them, tagging them, the Oracle and AKA Salesforce mentality of basically killing your customer or anybody in between is over. Service is the new sales. Thanks. I'm guessing, uh, Jerry, based on the nature of the software that you sell, uh, you've got a unique perspective on this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how your company goes about finding sure. and continuous customers. And before I begin, I, I'm kind of curious from the audience, how many of you guys on a B2C side versus B2B? Raise your hand if you're B2C businesses. Are you looking for recurring revenue for like a consumer subscription box? Or, okay. And then B2B? All right, so give more B2B. Yeah, so maybe like two-third B2B. So, so um, we have an interesting product where my business is a subscription business. We serve mid to enterprise brands like Olay. PNG is one of our biggest clients. And, and, um, and so we need to make sure they are continuous with us. And, and that's how we stay uh, profitable as a, as, a, as a company. And then on the flip side, we make sure that our clients can retain their clients. So they're... Um, so we work with many businesses from Juicero, which had a famous um, sort of unwrap last year, to Dollar Shave, who've been working for more than five years now. Um, those are all different types of businesses that we serve that, from a continuous customer's perspective, a lot of it comes down to, um, do you have a product that people really want uh, continuously? So I think your opening was perfect because if someone's selling a bidet or toilet seats, you probably just don't need that many. Uh, versus like when we engage with the new subscription businesses, uh, we just look at their model. I could probably tell whether or not this business is going to work out in a year or two because uh, we've seen too many businesses also kind of wrap up because of that. And for our business, um, and I agree with John, so much of it, I have a team of 10 client success managers that uh, work with bigger brands that need a little more hand-holding because I think 
client services the new sales form because that's how you keep them. And um, for many B2B businesses, and most of us probably manage and, and, and try to actually assess what's our client churn rate. And then um, depends on the industry you're in, different churn rate is, there's different standards. So for us, like we, um, because we're in a marketing automation personalization space, um, clients have a lot, a decent amount of options. So um, where we see success with continuous customers and retain them is through, at the end of the day, they need to be successful with us. Uh, there needs to be a very clear ROI. And in addition to the five E's, I think it's really about um, delivering a very, very satisfactory and, and strong experience for the customer. So they like your software, it's easy to use, and, and for us, automation is a big piece. So uh, what you could do using Salesforce Marketing Cloud, um, you could use our software and then and spend less of, like half of a fraction of time. So that's where we bring value to the customers. Great. You mentioned uh, your customer success organization. I'm wondering, uh, this question to both of you again, um, let's switch channels maybe and go more towards the grow topic now. So we've got a customer on the hook. We've got a recurring revenue relationship with them. Um, how do we, what is, a, what is a, let's say, what does an upgrade path look like for, for your products or your services? And what are the organizational components that get involved in sort of taking customers down that journey towards deepening those revenue relationships with you guys? So there's a lot of ways to scale a business. Many companies today, SaaS companies, are building inside sales teams and customer success teams and using SDR and prospecting and all kinds of methodologies to try to sell direct. And I think there's only 10 hours in a day that you could effectively do that. And what you want to be able to do is sell 24 hours a day globally. And so what we did in the goldmine days is we didn't sell direct. We sold through partners. And we used things like CompUSA and Egghead to seed the market and then fed those seeds into our reseller channel to scale it. And the way we scaled our reseller channel and really our partnering was we built into SQL Server, Exchange Server, and NT Server before those products were even known in the marketplace and required it for Goldmine Enterprise, thereby becoming the number one ISV for Microsoft globally and giving our resellers ways to add value in products and services. And that's really how we scaled our company back in those days. Today, what we're doing is we're, again, scaling a reseller channel because I believe that rather than building an inside team, which we have, and we do that motion of driving eyeballs, 100,000 per month, converting at 10% to trial and 20% to paid through no advertising spend, all through influencer marketing and social and guerrilla PR. But to scale globally, what we're doing is we're again partnering with Microsoft. And so we signed a reseller agreement where Microsoft is reselling Nimble with Office 365. We've positioned ourselves as the simple CRM for Office 365 and G Suite, where we then become a gateway drug to Power BI Flow, Power Apps, Azure, and even Dynamics and LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And that is an amazing pole position to be in because they are now globally pushing us into the resellers, into the distributors, into the hosting providers where we don't have to necessarily scale a sales team to do that. So that's our growth strategy globally is to identify the trusted advisor of our customers and to work through their trusted advisors, their resellers to scale it. 
Absolutely agree, and we have an inbound and outbound team as well. And one of the things that we actually do is in our actual software, we, we have premium features where we have screenshots and we describe what they do. And then so if you click on it and you're on a lower tier uh, of the software, it says, hey, contact your client success manager to upgrade. So, so understanding being able to upsell in a very intelligent way by highlighting that, hey, right now you're on the lower tier and, and you have all these advanced functionalities that you can, act, you can actually have access to for just a small fraction. I, I think that make that experience really, really easy to, to upgrade your um, software tier. I think that's really important. Um, I think John mentioned just sort of partnerships. So I think for us as a smaller company, we're about 50 people and I think one thing we have not done as well is around uh, investing in, in partnerships. So we actually do work with Recharge. They're, they're a great partner of ours. We have a lot of similar clients and we work with other um, sort of technology in, this, in the ecosystem. So I think investing in your partners is a great way. Uh, and finally, I would say turn your clients into advocates. So we have a lot of brands that ended up referring us more clients because all we serve marketers, so oftentimes they all are very well networked among each other and they all want to know what are the top tools you use. So um, one of our awesome brands is called Poopery. So it's like this really cool scent that they have really funny, funny commercial. You guys should look them up. They refer us like four or five clients. So I think investing in your own clients, make sure they're successful and know that they, you know, turn them into your advocates. I think that's, uh, that's, that's the best type of advertising. I certainly empathize with that comment. Um, so last point then, or the last point of, um, of get, grow, and keep is obviously the keep, right? How do we retain these customers, right? And so the, there's the easy ones, and I don't remember, somebody said it earlier this morning, right? There's the value proposition, there's the value price thing that, the, that customers are continually having to make and evaluate as they are in this continual purchasing and revenue relationship with you, right? So that's kind of the easy one. Uh, you have to be giving them good stuff, you've got to be charging a fair price, right? That's kind of, that's table stakes, right? But what do we do from a, what other strategies might you employ to keep customers? Um, when do you, do you know when you have a customer that may be a tritting? Um, and what kinds of strategies will you put in place to maybe stay, save the save the sale, rather, um, if you feel that you have a, a customer that's in risk of leaving you? Well, I, I think that you need to make your product like crack. It has to be something <laughs> that that person has to have. They want to have. They love to use it. And, and I'm going to ask everybody in this room, how many people love your CRM? Okay. So wow. I invented contact management <laughs> and CRM, and the reason why Goldmine was so successful is because it's about relationships, not about revenue and reporting. So basically, the reason why there's 225 million global businesses and less than 1% use any CRM is because you work for the serum, it doesn't work for you, and you have to go to it to use it. That's stupid. So the reason they call it Salesforce, you have to force salespeople to use it. Nobody in the right mind would use a CRM if they weren't beat on to do it. And, and the reality is, if you were to ask Mark Benioff or Bob Stutz, who built Dynamic CRM, how they built those companies, it was converting goldmine customers. Because ultimately, I really believe that we all need a personal CRM. We all need a relationship manager, and especially in today's over-connected, over-communicated world where your email, contact, and calendars aren't even connected to each other, let alone are they connected to the places you really engage in social. And so the way that we keep customers is we're the first CRM that works for you by building itself and then works with you everywhere you work. 
because you need context and insights wherever you are. If I'm going to meet David Wood in a half an hour, I want to know when was the last time I spoke to David, who on my team has spoke to him, and I want to know what's going on in his life so I could find ways to add value because that's what we're on this planet to do is we're on this planet to grow by helping other people grow. And if you could align the promises that you make to the experience that you deliver and have a company that helps other people achieve their passion, plan, and purpose in life, you can't help but keep customers. So what we've done is we've made it so Nimble automatically synchronizes with over 100 SaaS business apps. Doesn't matter if you're using Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever you happen to be using in sales, marketing, customer service, accounting, or social media. We'll unify your office, your Gmail, your G Suite, your iCloud, contacts, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and the business contacts, and create a universal relationship platform for your whole company, and then work back inside those applications so that you can nimble somebody everywhere you work. You could be in a Forbes article and nimble Jerry over here, and not only will we give you his complete background, but his contact info enable you to connect and engage. And I think that's the best way to keep customers is to work for them and with them everywhere they work so that you're providing insights and ability to take action throughout their entire day. I, I, was, I would say just spend as much time with your customers as you can. I spend probably 50% of my time traveling to customers and really trying to understand their needs because chances are you're only solving a small portion. And... Um, a lot of times it's about usage too, uh, beyond just the product doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, we actually have automatic alert if people are not in our software, they, they're um, not turning on campaigns. So we have certain threshold that we know that if you fall below a certain threshold, then you are potentially at risk. So, um, and, and what I call surprise and delight. So uh, we work with Roger at Retro Zoe Media and, and one of the things that we try to do, sometimes we, we get on site, meet with them in person, or, um, or being able to, like, if it's holiday time, like, we come up with, you know, maybe, like, strategy, just trying to always go above and beyond to, to serve your clients. I think sometimes it's to keep them, it, it's, it's it, most people are human. I think people are not just buying your products, they are also buying you. So I think being authentic is important, too. I think we're out of time. Um. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. Great answer. Uh, now let's take a, I think we have a few minutes for some questions from the audience, if we, if we have any out there. Yeah, right here. So John, you mentioned about scaling with partners, right? So you sell this, uh, this consumer of the MGB. Can you talk about the pricing difference? When you, when you price it with MGB, what does that look like? Hey, Jack, I'll just repeat the question. Uh, the question was, what was the, you're lucky I was listening, Peter. Um, the question is, what is the difference in, from a pricing perspective when you are selling both to a B2C and a B2B kind of a customer? Well, if you think about business, ultimately it's not B2B or B2C, it's P2P and H stage. People buy from people that like, know, and trust. And so it's, it's really all relationships, either way you go. But we do have different models and different products for different positions in that marketplace. We built a freemium add-in that uh, uh, Microsoft resellers give away with our product through Office 365. If you add it inside Office 365, it's automatically added into Outlook Desktop, Outlook Mobile, and works everywhere you work and gives you insights on people and companies uh, throughout your day for free. And then we upsell you into the paid version of that. And then we also have a, a contact platform 
that's just uh, $15 uh, a month, and it gives you contact management uh, for your team, even if you have a CRM. And then we have a $25 version that gives you the, uh, the full enchilada. Other questions out there? I see a hand right there. It was too long for me to repeat. No, I did just, why don't you just answer that one? Anyone? Okay. Well, the, the question is, is, is there a difference between B2B and B2C retention and caring if the team members are using it, logging what they do, and do you have to, sit, you have to continually get them to use it, or do you just care about the buyer or the administrator? Yeah, so for us, um, thank you, John. And so, I, I look, so a comparison of a product for B2B that's like my software is HubSpot, Marketo, and we're essentially for B2C. So I, I very much look at, the, and we actually use HubSpot for our business to market. So I very much look at our own usage, which is much, much less than a B2C company, because B2C companies are running campaigns every day. And then so I think for B2B, the most important thing is looking at, have, having a good sense of what the averages you should be expecting. So is it, they're supposed to log in at least twice a week, and then they launch uh, a few campaigns where they're, if you're sending, deploying emails or if you're a content management system, like is it 500 contacts for a pr freemium uh, customer is, is about right versus 1,000 or 2,000. Uh, for us, a very simple metric, uh, there are two things we track. We track volume um, and so just, use, uh, just usage and growth. And then two is um, we, we also do track how many email or just database size. So, the, the faster you grow, chances are we know that there's an, one, there's an upsell opportunity. Two, more volume equals to revenue. That means you're getting a higher ROI. And then so that typically alert our client success team that there might be an upsell opportunity if there's clearly getting a, a really strong ROI. One example would be uh, we have a client that literally makes a million dollars with us and they pay us $5,000 a month. And then, and then so our team would be like, okay, we should probably find a way to justify that upsell. So, so finding that kind of... Um, customer pattern for, for your B2B products. I think having those clearly defined so your CS team knows how to uh, in, um, react to those and, and, and based on those growth, I think will be key. I'd like to touch this question too. I think the administrator or the owner makes the decision to buy it or manages the, the platform for the people, but if the people aren't using it, then they won't keep paying for it, the manager or the owner. So we absolutely track usage uh, by the entire team, and we use something called Intercom for that. And so we have pixels on what you do and don't do, and based off your behavior and non-behavior, we message you uh, to drive the behavior that we know will help you to become successful and ultimately, for us, the measure of success is that you use us throughout your day. So you're not just going to Nimble to use it, but you're using Nimble inside of Gmail, G Suite, Office, uh, uh, HubSpot, uh, MailChimp, uh, uh, whatever program you're in. And so if you're continually adding contacts, looking contacts up, then we know that it's providing value. We've got to wrap up. Um, one more question if we want. Yes, right here in front. So 
The question there was the non-confidential insights around the Dollar Shave Club and what they did to get the the exit, the valuation on the exit that they got, one of the most successful exits here in, in L.A. I, I think for a lot of brands, we serve, and we work with a lot of fast-growing startups, and I think one of the things that we always looked at when, when they can keep what they, what they do to keep their customers is that at the end of the day, they have products that they need. So um, if you're selling razors, and now we're working with another brand called Quora. It's subscription for tampon. And I think they're going to be the next dollar shave because it's at the end of the day, it's about selling necessity. And, and so there's certain type of subscriptions that if it's not a necessity and people don't have a recurring need like a toilet seat, then you really can't keep them on a subscription type of business model. Uh, for them, I think it's they're very, very authentic. I think Michael Dubin, the founder uh, in the early days, like he just really made a name for uh, being um, just very, very real and, and funny and sense, great sense of humor. I think that a lot of brands that we work with, we, we kind of see that it factor in the early days. Now, I don't know how many of you in the audiences have heard of a, a new company called Rothy's. They're these flash shoes for women, um, women made out of plastic um, bottles. And uh, they're blowing up. Um, the investor that, the first investor ever invested in Snapchat, uh, Jeremy Liu from Lightspeed, just putting like $10 million in the business and they don't even need it because they're already hugely profitable. Um, so, so we work with brands like that, and then early on, it, you kind of see that it factor where just, and to, to, to um, Jeff's point, if you go on Instagram, literally their customers are defending them for people who say, hey, your shoes are too expensive. And so when you see that and you have like your own customers are defending you, typically that's a sign of, uh, of some, a business or a product or a personality or just something that's really, really authentic that customer, your customers can identify with. Uh, especially millennials and, and Gen Y, Gen X, we all shop very, very differently. And I think customers today, um, to echo back to John, pe they, people buy, pe buy from people they like. And then so a lot of it's about the brand story, it's about being authentic, and it's about uh, cutting through the noise. Because if you go on Instagram right now too, um, I mean, there's so many sponsor ads and, and it's hard. And so unless you're being real and then you stand out, I, I think um, you can't get to that billion dollar exit. It's hard to get through the clutter. Yes, are we done? Okay, a round of applause please for my panel, thank you.